Welcome to In Our Own Defense Podcast. We're your hosts, Attorney A.D. Winters, founder and managing attorney at VeteransDefender.com, and Dr. Dolores Tarver, licensed psychologist. For more information about our podcast, just please go to Instagram at In Our Own Defense, at uh, In Our Own Defense, or at Gmail at In Our Own Defense at Gmail.com. In Our Own Defense, uh, our mission is true. We want to share truths, create dialogue that increases our listeners' awareness of a variety of concerns to foster development of a holistic plan, which incorporates mis- uh, mental, physical, uh, spiritual, financial, and intellectual wellness. And so as we do that, uh, that's going to hopefully increase our, our listeners' self-worth. Information provided during the In Our Own Defense podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice and is not a substitute for the knowledge, skill, and judgment of a qualified mental health or medical health professional. Instead, all information, content, and material available on this podcast are for general informational purposes only. In this episode of In Our Own Defense podcast, we have the, the pleasure of having three brilliant and resilient guests. Uh, who are on this show that have been diagnosed with and fought victoriously against COVID-19. And they will come on the show and bravely share unique experiences about it. Uh, So as we uh, start this particular episode, Dr. Tarver, welcome back to the show. Good to see you again, as always. You too, sir. All right, great. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you you see in the news uh, about COVID-19. We've all been enduring this. really most of this part of this year uh, and, and and it has been a challenge we, we've all heard all of these misconceptions and misperceptions and myths about what's happening with COVID-19 today we finally get to to get to the brass tacks of it all have a real engaged dialogue with people who have experienced it and um, and, and to see how they bounce back uh, from COVID-19 as they share their stories uh, what are some of the the myths and and uh, these uh, Paul Bunyan tales that you've heard about (laughs) COVID-19. Well, you know, we started this journey with saying Black people were not able to catch COVID-19, right? And we saw KD get it and we were like, oh, he's like Black Black. So clearly that means we can get it. Then we started off this whole journey with once you get it, maybe you're not going to be exposed to it anymore. You're not able to get it. We still don't really know the answer to that one. Um, we started off this journey with thinking that, okay, I can do my own version of shelter in place, which means that I can go all these other places, but just come back home and, and feel like I can't get it because I'm in my house, even though I went to these other places. And then we're at this point where, do I really have to wear a mask? Can I pull the mask down under my nose? Possibly that may still work. So we've, we've got a lot of misperception about COVID-19. And that's, that is, I find that all fascinating in, in every part of the, you know, the country. There was a story, um, um, there was this article that I, I was reading uh, about in Mississippi, families of COVID-19 victims say poverty and race uh, determined their survival when all of the other socioeconomic influences that are, are part of the overall uh, matrices that is healthcare, that is access to healthcare, that is treatment, uh, post-treatment and educate healthcare education. So as we as we look at uh, these kind of things, um, as we get ready to reopen, I wonder from your perspective, what does reopening look like in in uh, Georgia? Well, as you know, we were one of the last states to actually implement some shelter-in-place restrictions and one of the first states to open. 
because that's how we roll down here in the peace space. So we are about four weeks into the state reopening. I think that first week people were still a little mindful about, we don't really like the way the state was open. We we're very clear about the guidelines weren't followed in the way that they should have been. Our governor made an executive decision on his own apart from the other committee members and not following the advice received by the CDC and their recommendations. And so I think that first week, people really didn't do much more different than they had been doing. So we were still shelter in place. People weren't really going out. By the second week, I think places started to get ready to try to open up. And so you had some salons opening, some um, food places opening. Here in week four, we are free for all. So you can get your nails done. Yes, I did. You can get your hair done. No, I haven't. You can go out and eat at a restaurant if you want to. Uh, you can go get you some new shoes if you've been running and wore yours out. That I did. Um, some of us are wearing masks, which I do. Uh, some people are not wearing masks. I think that some businesses are slowly still opening, so they're allowing people to work from home, but bringing some in. Some of the salons haven't opened just yet. So I think we're in a mixed bag with people trying to figure out, okay, the state is open. We're, we need to figure out where we're going to land. So either I shelter in place and don't go out, which I think is still some people. I go out, but I wear my mask and take my precautions, which I do think are most people. And then we have our other group of people who are just like fish fry, barbecue, beach, golf, here I come. So our anxiety is high. And uh, we probably will be on the news in another month with either increased mental health rates or increased COVID-19 rates, one of the other. You know, Dr. Tucker, I think this is interesting because this is something in, in all of our lives, we're all in the same, you know, age group. You know, Ted been the youngest, he's a, like a baby to us, but he, uh, with all of us being in this uh, kind of same generation uh, in that, you know, 40 to, you know, the 50 uh, kind of frame with the exception of Ted, of course, younger than us, uh, we have never experienced anything. And I know they haven't experienced anything in, in Ted's age group. I mean, uh, Representative James' age, uh, age group. This is so unique for us that as a as a country, really as a earth, as a world, we're experiencing this thing together. Uh, each, each country has taken their own approach depending on the impact of COVID, how it, how it has, a, has really in the practicality uh, uh, and the pragmatic nature of the leadership in those countries. And even in our states within the United States, sometimes down to the county um, of different responses to it. You know, uh, California, Northern California was one of the first states to go into the shelter in place. Uh, and, and it was it was extremely deliberate. You know, I, I can't speak to what other states did in this time, but I was kind of excited to see that um, California was being very deliberate. There's been a lot of great things that have come from this. I've watched the mayor of New Orleans. She is a rock star in my book. Uh, the stalwart uh, governor of Louisiana has, has he's kind of held it very steady uh, and, and, and listened to the science. So that was really important. But here in California, Governor Newsom, um, he, you know, fought back all of the naysayers and the people that uh, First Amendment rights uh, kind of people. And, and state the course and laid out a deliberate phased approach to how we uh, reopen. So the, the shutdown was early. The shutdown was not out of panic, it was out of science. So then he came back and, and they put in a, a phased approach. So phase 
Uh, stage one um, is physical and workflow adaptation, uh, making PPE more widely available. Stage two was uh, kind of gradually reopen those lower risk places, some retail curbside service uh, with the manufacturing, certain manufacturing, certain office offices that cannot telework, that just don't have the ability to telework. And then some of the outdoor museums when we're kind of in open air structures. Uh, and then uh, phase three is more of the higher risk workplaces beginning with kind of personal cafes and recreational uh, venues with the workplace modifications. Um, and then some localized per, uh, permissions. And then stage four is gonna be the end of the home. So we're still in, uh, we're, we're in stage two, phase two, stage two. Um, and then really uh, from a legal perspective, there was a big lawsuit, uh, one of the largest churches, um, church groups in the country, this lawyer representing over a thousand churches in California. Um, they wanted to open their churches, so they sued in order to open because they, they're saying that they were trampling on their religious freedom, that these, these executive orders were trampling on their religious freedoms. So one of the challenges that came from that is that, uh, you know, they went to court uh, and then the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals held, upheld Governor Newsom's ban on in-person church services um, and a split ruling landed this Friday, uh, last night. Uh, the courts that the pastors who claim um, they were wrong about their their religious freedoms being uh, trampled from a from a standpoint that Ted and I know about the, there's police powers that a governor has that a state has and so using those police powers they have to put them in place to protect the whole of the body of the people within that state so with that being um, with that being said we, we've kind of talked that piece but I really want us to really bring these great talented guest on uh, our show. I think we may be losing Mr. Smothers. Uh, if, if he, if, did he get back on? I don't see him right now, but we'll go, we'll go forward with uh, the first introduction that I'll do is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Rodney Bilbrew. So Rodney Bilbrew is a native of Jackson, Mississippi, and he was commissioned in ROTC with me. We were uh, in ROTC together at Southern University where he uh, got his commission in 2000, graduated in electrical engineering. He has one master's degree from uh, Florida Institute of Technology, has a second master's degree from University of Alabama. Um, and he, he's plenty of military education to include the uh, uh, Command and General uh, Staff College and the DLD Program Managers course. Um, he served in Afghanistan, Iraq, Defense, Meritory Service, uh, Medal, um, a ton of, um, um, a ton of awards that he's received throughout his military career. And most importantly, he's a proud father of four children and he is a member of KSA. Uh, uh, in fact, he's number 14 on our line and I'm number 15. So that's how close we are uh, in, in the bond of Kappa. He is an amazing person, past all of his credentials. He's just a really, really good person. And so um, we're so happy to have you on the show, Mr. Bill Brewer. Our next person I wanna introduce it's Mr. Edward Ted James. Uh, he's a state representative for Louisiana uh, and his leadership style is driven by a deeply held desire to impact the lives of others while transforming the community uh, that he calls home. Um, you know, we, we were both brought on and, and you know, offered uh, opportunities for appointment as assistant AGs back in 2006. And Ted told me, he was like, man, I wanna, I wanna have a bigger impact. I wanna go out and I wanna lead my people and be able to provide for them 
uh, and he did. He took strategic opportunities with uh, with Governor uh, Kathleen uh, Babino Blanco. He worked uh, even under the administration of the Bobby Jindal, where he served um, on the Louisiana Advisory Commission for Intergovernmental Affairs. Uh, he's, he's taken on these big challenges post-Katrina in, in a state that was ravished uh, when, when the main breadwinner of that state, uh, New Orleans, was, was, was put asunder in, in Katrina, and he helped the state bounce back. Uh, and so much so that in 2011, November, he was elected to Louisiana um, to be the state representative for District uh, 101. Uh, he's an incredible leader. He's talented. Uh, he's been selected in several organizations as top 40 lawyers under 40. But the most important thing about him is he is a girl dad to his beautiful daughter, Harper. Uh, and then, uh, so we welcome you to the show. Uh, and he's, he's also one of my younger uh, fraternity brothers. So. But he, he's done more in his young age than all us old folks have, <laughs> so we're really happy to have him. And, and last, of course, but not least, is Mr. Virgil Smothers. He completed his Bachelor's of Science degree uh, um, at uh, Southern University. He's got his Master's in Mental Health Counseling at Southern University. Uh, he's, he's, he's done a bunch of specialized crisis counseling post-Katrina, as we all experienced that there in Baton Rouge. And he has over 20 years of experience in sales and marketing. And he has his own uh, company where he's the CEO of New Heights uh, BMC Holdings and New Heights Business Marketing Consultants. Um, the, the, the most important thing that I would tell you about Virgil Smothers is that his commitment to excellence has always been there. He's a two-time uh, uh, SWAC champion. Uh, he's a two-time national uh, black college national champion. Um, and, and he has had this in that span of when he played football, he took that same relentlessness and he brought that into the corporate world. Uh, and so we're so lucky to have him here. And so we want to welcome all three of them to our show. Welcome, gentlemen, to the show. Welcome to the show. All right. Hey, all right. Good deal. And so, General, we want to jump right into the show. Uh, we, want to, we, we have a few questions for you and we want to jump right into it. Uh, the, the first question I want to pose is that COVID-19, the etiology and symptomology and catalyst tend to affect each person different. They, the, the starting point for, for each one um, that I've, I've read has been different. The different triggering points uh, for COVID-19 seems to have been different. Uh, but for each one of you, I, I pose this question is, what happened? What were you doing the day before COVID-19 uh, happened, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Brew? What were you doing the day before? And how did it first manifest themselves? What, what the, how did the symptoms first come to you? So one of the things with the, uh, the military, I was uh, prepping for a last minute trip out to Seattle. And um, the, the guidance was coming down at that time that was restricting all military uh, government, uh, DOD civilians and uh, government contractor movement. And so I remember putting together a response to send up, uh, making sure that I had approval to be able to travel out to the West Coast for that particular trip and uh, talking about the importance of it. Well, immediately after that, um, I, was, uh, I was denied because of uh, their response to our overall travel. And I, I never forget that weekend because immediately after that, um, I, I, I'm single. So I was going out to Walmart 
to kind of pick up some supplies because normally I go in early, get off late, and a lot of times you don't have enough time to uh, pick up uh, the supplies that you need. So I was going in to get some water, and when I saw the shelves in Walmart, I was like, wow, I was really thrown back because I felt like I had really missed the bubble on getting in and uh, picking up those critical supplies. So immediately after that, um, uh, I went into, um, we went into redistributed uh, working environment, working from home. And what happened from there was uh, I immediately started to feel um, sick. I had uh, symptoms of a fever, um, uh, really bad skin irritability, um, uh, diarrhea. It, it was just a myriad of issues that kind of set in first off. And from there, I was, you know, like I said, here in the uh, Maryland area by myself. And when you when you're by yourself and you don't have any family or anything like that, it takes a different um, a different feel for you, especially when it comes to making sure that someone has uh, oversight on your care and your welfare and your uh, your well-being. And so, still trying to work, but I ended up not feeling well, and I uh, decided to go ahead and call um, the Army Hospital and tell them that. I wanted to come in to get checked out because I had been seeing some of the uh, the news uh, events and and things like that, even though we hadn't had any uh, known cases at the time at my location. But once I went in, uh, they were able to go in and uh, treat me. And I, I really appreciate the, the amount of care that I received from uh, the, the personnel there at the hospital because um, it was a very critical stage. A lot of people didn't know what was going on, but you know we were all working through it. So what they uh, concluded at that particular time was that uh, I had a very bad sinus infection and I had a cold. And they also swabbed me for uh, flu. And what ended up happening was when they, when they did that initial swab, they also ran a series of questions uh, asking me uh, questions related to COVID-19 had I been out of the country because we had just had uh, several of our uh, uh, people return back in from Europe because of some, some work that was going on then had I had any exposure just those simple questions any fever or anything like that within the last so many days and in that um, they concluded that I did not have COVID-19 so it was no need to further test me with the COVID-19 swab because of the limited uh, medical supplies that we that we had. But what really got me was the fever never went away. And that is when I knew something was wrong uh, because at that point, you know, with everything that was given to me, the Tylenol, all of the medication that I had, I could never get that fever to break. And um, as you know, with military, uh, a lot of members in the military, uh, we're pretty physically fit. But when you have a fever that's going up and down, up and down, you know, um, you know that something's wrong. We've been in enough places where you kind of know your body, you push your body to the limit a lot of times. So um, you're, you're very in tune with your body, but as I came back in and I told them um, I couldn't get it uh, to go down, 
that's when they actually did the swab and I, and I ended up testing positive. And that's when a lot of my symptoms really started to worsen where um, um, there was a, a period about four or five days between that original diagnosis uh, from the just the uh, sinus infection and the cold to when they actually were able to diagnose that I, I tested positive for COVID. But uh, one of the pieces from that was it was the my body just continued to go down. I, I really had a shortness of breath. Uh, the um, the the insomnia really kicked in, and um, it was it was very much one of those experiences where you you often say to yourself, you know, because we've been tested, we've operated in a lot of austere environments and things like that. I got to the point where I was like, hey, look, I. Uh, all right, I got your point. You know, I, I think I've had enough of this one. You know, uh, when are we gonna start to get on the other side of this? And it was and just one of those. It's fascinating that you bring that up because you, you what you experienced initially with the shortage of, of, of all of the vaccines and the shortage of um, ability to test kit and, and being very uh, deliberate about testing people, they're saying, hey, even with our military, we have to make sure every time someone has a symptom, we have to be careful to bring them in and test it because we have so few. And so do you, from a, from your perspective, uh, Representative James, did you guys see that, uh, you know, from a policy? I want to take the same question that I just gave Lieutenant Colonel Bill Brew, but I do want you to further, I want to talk about what did you see from now that you're back what were some of the things that you guys noticed on a shortage uh, that the state of Louisiana may have experienced on shortage? But first, how did COVID-19 first come about to you? How did you first experience it? What did you yeah, do? Yeah, it, uh, you know, for me, the ironic thing, we had just started the legislative session on March 9th um, and no, we had no cases until that Friday. We had cases in New Orleans, uh, but very few cases. So we, we were out for the weekend and then returned back on a Monday and still at that time, like, you know, Dr. Tarver started, it was a lot of uncertainty. Like, you know, we, there were rumors that, uh, you know, African-American community, you weren't at risk. Uh, you know, young individuals like all of us on this on this Zoom, uh, you, you aren't at risk unless you have certain conditions. So we were seeing numbers spike in other areas of the country, but in Louisiana, we were just, doing as, um, you know, other states, you know, that Thursday when we left the session, the NBA, that was the same night that the NBA canceled, well, you know, paused the season. So that was the, the big wake up call for us. Um, so we get back that Monday and, and, and still uh, New Orleans had, you know, very few cases, but that week started to climb. Um, so, you know, for me that week, I was running every day, uh, you know, ironically, uh, you know, Virgil and I used to see him in the gym all the time. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm there. Uh, but that weekend, I got a call from one of my colleagues who, and he was in the hospital. Um, so I started to get, um, you know, concerned there, but he, he tested negative. Uh, but we were still concerned because all of us had been together within that seven to 10 day time frame. So the, the days before I spent the weekend, I, I was jogging the lakes at LSU. Uh, you know, I was playing with my little girl. Um, Sunday, I went over to her mom's house and went, you know, walked around the neighborhood with her, took her to the lake, fed the ducks, 
Um, and then I got home and, you know, went through three or four t-shirts because I kept sweating. And, um, and Monday morning, um, like Lieutenant Colonel Bill Brew, I had a fever of 103. And for me, I, I knew it at the moment, uh, just, I was like, I got it, right? <laughs> I just, you know, that for me, I was assuming the worst, but preparing for the best. Uh, and on the, the, the issue of the test, had I not been representative James, I wouldn't have been tested. Right, oh. that that's that's the ironic and the, the sad part about this whole thing. Um, like I didn't call it at that point. You know, we had very limited test um, kits available, and you had to have a recommendation from a doctor. You know, for me, I made a call. The CEO of the hospital said, "Come to this address, get tested." Um, had I just been, you know, uh, ordinary citizen, I probably would have been denied at 38 with no real health conditions. I would have been told to go take some Tylenol and sit down. Uh, but for me, uh, you know, blessed enough to be able to call somebody it was tested on that Monday, you know, so session starts the 9th, we, we shut the state down the 16th, and then the next week, I'm, I'm in the hospital testing, and then that Thursday was when um, I got my results, uh, so I, I was, you know, told that um, I was positive, and for me, that Monday was the fever, um, I had the diarrhea, and the same story, pumping myself with Tylenol, but could not break the fever, right? For, for four days, so I'm there. And then the Saturday is when I started to really get hit with the shortness of breath. People were dropping off stuff at the house um, and I couldn't get from the couch to the door to get the groceries or to get the food. Um, so that Sunday, um, I ended up calling uh, a friend of mine um, her husband is a cardiologist at Baton Rouge General, and he was like, "Man, go to the hospital. Like, just just see if you could get yourself there. Um, we'll have somebody waiting for you." Um, and I get to the hospital. You know, as soon as I'm EKG, blood test, chest X-ray. So within an hour and a half, um, they're pumping me with oxygen, and and then I got the news that I had pneumonia as well. Um, so that Sunday in the hospital and. You know, fortunately for me, I, I still, you know, I'm from Baton Rouge, I still live here. So the, the first week, you know, I had family coming and not coming inside, but being able to at least check on me. Uh, but in the hospital, it's just, it's you and your thoughts, right? It's just, it's you and all of the fears. Um, and, you know, that was very early on. Now, when on the testing front, we have been able to secure, uh, I think, more tests than we need. Um, here in Louisiana because what we saw is a, a huge spike in Arlene's Parish and Jefferson and what we saw was we had more cases per capita than any of not not any other you know place in the south but any other state in the country and we were able to really unfortunately use those numbers to get the testing kits sent here so um, as I was in the hospital there were countless uh, mobile testing sites set up in New Orleans and Baton Rouge, where I am, Shreveport, um, in a lot of the uh, areas that had, you know, high numbers. Uh, like Dr. Tarver said, we started off not thinking that African-American community would get it. And now we know we have been disproportionately impacted more than anybody else when you look at the death rate. So for us now, um, you know, I think that two months, like this is uh, two months ago, today was the day that I was tested. Uh, March 23rd, and here we are, May 23rd. Um, and what I've seen, at least from the testing piece, is we have experienced a, a huge increase um, from just the, the federal government making sure that we had the test uh, kits on the ground.
Representative James, you gave me a nice little lob, so I'm going to go ahead and take it and pose this question to you and, and Lieutenant Colonel Bill Brew is the mental health piece. I know that you two are healthy men. I know that you are young men, and these were some of the perceptions that people had. If you're healthy, uh, you're active, physically active, you have access to resources, you have you have insurance, and you have these things that, that you're not likely to get this illness. But the people, the thing that people also don't talk about is the mental health that goes along with that. What is it like to be a healthy man, to not have had these conditions, to have been doing uh, running before, in meetings before, and then get slammed with this. How did it feel to not be able to have access maybe to the people around you who you're used to being able to support you when you're sick? I'll tell you that, uh, you know, I'm glad you brought it up because that's the the, the main aspect that I don't um, think people are discussing enough. Um, you know, for me, the legislature has returned back to session, but for the last three weeks, I haven't gone. And it's not because I, I'm, I physically feel bad. It's, it's the mental aspect because I still think that um, I may be able to contract it again. I'm not one that's listening to folks that are saying, hey, you, you're, you're fine. You're not going to get it. Um, and I tell people, you didn't have the misfortune of sitting in the hospital. And for me, you know, I, I consider myself, you know, very strong on my faith. But in the hospital, um, there, there were times when I was, was like, this is it. Uh, uh, very, you know, cried a lot in the hospital, uh, my, my friend whose husband is a cardiologist, she's actually my former legislative assistant, he came in one morning to see me, he would come in every morning, and I didn't find this out until after I got out of the hospital, but he had called her and was like, you need to, to either text him, call him, or just continue to pray because he looks like he doesn't want to fight anymore. Um, and then now afterwards, uh, there are still uh, just the chatter out there you know, some family and friends, you know, they're jokes, right? People, but people don't understand. And I know that that they aren't, you know, ill intended, uh, but folks don't really understand what we went through because they, you know, people talk about, oh, you know, it's the, the virus, um, you um, overcame the virus. No, we survived it, right? Like it's, and, and, and I wouldn't, I think that it's dumbing down the experience to say that it's like we simply, you know, were able to overcome COVID-19. We survived because there are so many people that, that didn't have the opportunity to, to bounce back and share their stories. Um, so for me, it's been a constant struggle. Uh, we were teasing you and we, we were talking about the Xavier piece, but I have a good friend who, who's a psychiatrist who graduated from Xavier. Uh, Claire has been holding me down for the last two months on this piece and reminding me that you know it's okay to talk about the the, the mental health piece about it and and just encouraging me to, to do things that to help strengthen and get me back uh you know mentally ready to kind of just get back out there lieutenant colonel Philbrook. uh it was definitely a humbling experience for me uh, for me um I, my children reside in Baton Rouge, so, um, and my family, like I said, is away. So it's definitely harder when you don't have anyone to come through and per se be with you that can, um, that can do a lot of the things. Luckily, uh, in the process, I had a, a, a wonderful significant other that was able to really uh, carry the weight on that, as well as having, um, you know, my my leadership, uh, they really pitched in, made sure that 
I was able to have those things that I needed. And, and that really um, did well for my, for my psyche. I mean, we've been in, you know, after learning how to uh, operate in a lot of difficult situations, when you get a break from that for a little bit, it's almost like muscle memory when you're getting ready, to, when you're going through it again. So it's like, you know, okay, Rod, put your, you know, your big boy britches on and let's get it. But I, I tell you, it was definitely a humbling experience when you're uh, in a position where um, you, you have to, you know, for me, the military, they called every day. And they were able to, I, you know, I talked to my doctor, my, my nurses, everyone uh, on a daily basis. I'm for, you know, I was fortunate enough to be in a little bit better position than uh, Representative Jane was from the extent that um, I, I didn't require, you know, hospitalization. But in that, um, my, my, my chain of command, as well as the hospital, checked on me daily so i remember one time i was getting rest and my uh my my boss was blowing up my phone was like hey look rod i you know just let me know you're all right you know i got the hospital and everyone calling me we just need to make sure that you're still living and you know i shoot them back a text message all right sir i'm in i'm good you know and that kind of quelled things down for a little bit but definitely a, a humbling experience when you think about it from a mental standpoint. And I think, uh, I think, uh, Mr. Smothers, uh, we, we have you back on the, the question that we've posed to, uh, that, that Dr. Tarver, if you want to re-ask it, Dr. Tarver, uh, uh, you want to go ahead? You could have asked it. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for your chivalry. Uh, Mr. Smothers, you came right in time because I, I know that you uh, you didn't get a chance to share your, your story with everyone, but you shared it with Attorney Winters and I before. And the question was posed about how it, how is your mental health affected by this? And I know you have um, very much a story to talk to about the changes that you went through mentally through this process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I apologize. The weather's really bad here. and kicked me out of the uh, internet and everything and uh, so just crazy but glad to be back uh, yeah as far as my mental health you know I gotta admit um, as you all know I'm a, I'm a minister of the gospel and without God and without my faith uh, I know my mental health would have taken a bigger dip a bigger hit uh, this was the most uh, excruciating uh, most just more it was just more drastic it was just words can't really explain the going through this process and uh i tell you it's the most vulnerable that i've ever been in my entire life um like i was telling you in attorney winners i was like a newborn baby you know i couldn't move i was pretty much paralyzed from neck down if you will but just to take you through the whole process uh very quickly um I suffered at home for 11 days and nights before even being taken to the hospital. And I was, I, I, I caught the COVID-19 virus on the front end. It was right when uh, the government started announcing it and started in, uh, giving us insight into what's going on and, 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 
given us certain guidelines, they didn't know what the guidelines were at the beginning. They didn't know what to expect. It caught us all off guard in terms of what we should look for, or uh, if you're having these symptoms, uh, you know, just all these different um, different things that we were uncovering together. And so um, I began feeling very weak and very um, uh, just just exhausted, didn't have any energy. I would go and work out, but I work out in the mornings. Uh, go to the gym and work to work out and I would find myself once I get there and uh, do a few exercises I was spent I was just exhausted didn't have any energy so I would find, find myself coming back home this is before they even announced it uh, but once they started announcing everything um, it was right you know my symptoms kicked in high gear where I had the body aches I had the fever uh, I quarantined myself upstairs uh, away from my family. And so, like I said, 11 days passed by to the point where I told my wife I couldn't take it anymore. Um, I would find myself crying out in the middle of the night, begging God, you know, uh, what is this? You know, so uh, once we called the doctor, uh, because at that at that time they were turning people away. There wasn't, the doctors wasn't seeing people at their office hospitals were turning people away, right? And so uh, we did a video conference, talked to the doctor. She said, go ahead, go on and admit him, only because she asked about my urine at the, toward the end of the video conference. And I told her that it was like a, a burnt orange. And so she didn't want, you know, she know the kid, kidney failure uh, is, an, is, a, is a possibility. So she said, well, go ahead and take him to the hospital. When my wife took me to the hospital, uh, she took me to the ER and they met us at the car. I got in a wheelchair. They turned her away. Uh, they told her to wait 10, 15 minutes uh, just in case they needed to talk to her. Turned her away. And that's a huge deal. When you're alone, doing this, you know, going through this trial and going through this tur turmoil alone without a family member, uh, it leaves you very vulnerable, very uh, you know, it, it's very scary. And so they took me straight to the uh, ICU and put me on a ventilator. And so I was in ICU for eight, uh, for eight days, I was on a ventilator for seven days. And uh, I, my heart actually stopped. It was self-induced though, because with, with being on a ventilator and, and uh, with the sedation, I was hallucinating and so I was very, I found myself coming out of sedation and I was, I found myself very, you know, very uh, nervous because of the hallucinating. I thought they were trying to get rid of the people that were uh, infected. So I wound up ripping the tube out of my throat and that caused additional uh, damages and, and things that they had to take care of. And so with that being said, um, this whole process was very scary, but as a minister of the gospel, I stood on my faith and I knew that God, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, God did not give us the spirit of fear, but out of power and love and of sound mind. So I stood on that and God began to reveal to me that it was necessary for me to go through this walk because I would have to minister to others in the future that's been diagnosed with cancer. Someone may have had a stroke and lost 50% of their the uses of their body 
but I'm able to tell them now that God is a healer uh, because of personal experience. The thing that I find, the, the thing that I find kind of most interesting about that, uh, uh, brother um, Virgil Smothers, uh, Mr. Smothers, is that each one of you all have been there for me uh, in, in various points of my life. You know, I hope that I've inspired you all. I hope I've been hopefully some somewhat helpful in your life. Um, you know, Bill Brew, you've been there with me through RLTC. We were, uh, you know, cadets together with Line Brothers and Kappa. We went through that process together. And we, uh, and I know I've counted on you many a day being right there in front of me through that experience and right there in front of me as we went through RLTC and we learned how to become leaders of, of people and the science and the art of leadership. Uh, Ted, uh, you know, most recently, you've helped me many a day, but most recently, Ted took it upon himself to ensure we launch, my, my law firm, VeteransDefender.com, we launched uh, Restic Veterans Week in Baton Rouge as my law office is headquartered in Baton Rouge. And Ted took it upon himself to ensure that the governor acknowledged what we were doing as we're there to help veterans. Louisiana's, you know, 300,000 veterans and uh, uh, surviving spouses. And Ted had the governor to give us a proclamation I didn't even know he was even watching this, but he had the governor to, to be there for my company as I'm trying to help support uh, the, the nation's veterans. Uh, and, and, and Virgil, we've had count, countless tete-a-tetes and conversation all over the United States from rides to, to Capitol Beach Party in Galveston to, to just being a mentor for me. We had to get our hair cut at the same barbershop, Absolutely. you know, at Webb Barbershop. And, and so we've been friends for ages and ages and ages. Uh, each one of you all have been there for me, but I imagine that this battle has, has not only made you resilient, as you guys have described your resilience, but it made you reflective. So in your reflections, what, what's, main, what's a quick key point that you guys use to help get you uh, to survive through this? What was one of the reflective points that you used? Uh, uh, Ted, we'll start with you, uh, Representative James. I think for me, the, the most reflective is just kind of, you know, asking myself, um, you know, Virgil, like God, like test you for a reason, right? right. So, right. and it's like, you know, school, you get lesson after lesson to prepare for a test, but in life, God treats you the exact opposite. So he tests you first and it's up to you to decide or determine or to seek out what that lesson is. So for me, it's, I'm still trying to understand why. Um, I, I think that, you know, one of the things for me, um, I wanted to really keep this thing quiet, right? When the news went out, I didn't call the media to tell the media I was in the hospital. Uh, one of my colleagues called and was like, hey, he's not here because he's in the hospital. And folks were calling and I kept ignoring the, the the guy from the advocate because I didn't want to talk. Um, and then when I got out of the hospital, people kept asking me to talk. And I and I, for me, I just wanted to keep it to myself. But I think that uh, one of the lessons that I learned was that it was important for a young black male um, healthy to get out there and say, hey, this is definitely something that can impact you. You are not that important that, you know, God is going to spare you and not uh, put you through this test. So, you know, for me, I think the biggest thing was reducing myself. And like Lieutenant Colonel Bilbrew said, it, it was humbling, right? It, 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 it was something that, you know, even though it was a personal thing, I had to really 
reflect on how to take that personal experience and try to communicate it to you know warn people um that they needed to probably stop some of the practices that they were doing because you know like dr tarver said there are a lot of people that were still acting like we were not in a pandemic um and then on the policy side uh we i'm the face of like hey and not just me i have three other colleagues that are african-american under 50 that one of them was in the hospital one of them unfortunately didn't and then we had another guy to die so for us it's like hey we need to make sure that that test kits are going in certain areas and then that the economic recovery we got to make sure that our folks are getting in because it's our folks that why these business owners are, are begging folks to go and reopen is our folks that's in the background making those businesses stand up so for me it's just how do i uh, you know, continue to elevate the conversation to make sure that the resources are going in the right place. And I would, I would offer that to you as well. That same question uh, to you, uh, uh, Mr. Smothers, uh, and thank you again uh, for that. That was a beautiful, uh, elo eloquent statement about that, uh, uh, Mr. James. Uh, Mr. Smothers, can you expound on that, please? Well, um, and like I said, my my experience was totally unique the way that I viewed it um, because of my intimate walk with God daily this is a daily walk and God began literally as I'm laying in ICU God began to reveal to me he said that it was, it's necessary when they transferred me from ICU to my private room God he began to speak to me once again about five o'clock in the morning. I just began to praise God uh, and just began to pray. And he began to reveal, he said, this is kingdom currency. So what he began to reveal to me is like street cred, right? When you, you know, you got, let's say rappers, right? They talk about doing all this stuff and going to jail, you know, and never been to jail. You know what I mean? That's no credibility there. Uh, but uh, with me as a minister, once again, of the gospel, it was so necessary for me to, to go through this trial. And now God, God revealed to me saying, this is kingdom credit, kingdom of currency. And so what that means is like street credit, right? Before, God has impacted my life in so many different ways, uh, so many different areas, right? I have a personal testimony. So as I'm ministering the gospel, whatever it is that someone is dealing with, if I had experience in that area, I say, hey, listen, you can be delivered from this. I was a functioning alcoholic and didn't even realize it, right? Because I was still functioning, but I can talk to an alcoholic. Well, now I have a healing testimony. I have a God is a healer testimony. So that's kingdom currency. That is kingdom money. That's credibility, credit, where I can go and purchase those souls. But um, with that, I didn't look at it from a carnal mindset. Had I not been in this intimate walk with God that I am in, I would have looked at it from a corner mindset and fear would have creeped in and maybe even some despair and some doubt. But because uh, my walk is so intimate with God, I'm able to constantly talk, you know, speak with him in that way. And he begins to reveal more and more. He don't tell you what's down the road, but he said, trust him. And so, so immediately, the scripture that that uh in terms of standing on my faith and standing in on his word yea though i walk through the valley not walk in the valley not walk around the valley yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i shall fear 
no evil. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And so that's where my strength came from. But God began to just remind me by his spirit, by the Holy Spirit, remind me that he's there. He's right there with you used So as you use those scriptures to, to be your reflecting point and you use them to, to re-strengthen yourself. And, and, and uh, Representative James used the experience because he knew he had a duty that was greater than himself to develop right. policy to, 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 to protect the whole of the people who are really experiencing it, not just from an economic standpoint, but from a standpoint that he could say, I can, we can help the people that are most vulnerable and that are going through this the most on right. a disproportionate basis. Lieutenant Colonel Bill Brew, what was the thing that you felt that allowed you to reflect on? How did you reflect back and grab uh, something back in your life to, to help uh, you uh, eventually survive uh, COVID-19? So uh, for me, it was uh, a reflection back to uh, my notification to my daughter um, that her uncle in Detroit uh, was hospitalized in ICU and that um, this is one of her favorite uncles. And I told her, hey, look, I just need you to give him a call to lift his spirits up. Well, she didn't want to give him a call because she was so emotionally distraught that he was sick. So in return, once um, I found out that I had tested positive, I couldn't tell her that I was sick because a little 10-year-old, the thing that she's going to think about is something's going to happen uh, uh, to my father. So I, I looked at that in the reflection, as I always do, and especially with a lot of the challenges that we face in the military and the selfless service that we do as we go about executing our day-to-day -day duties, uh, whether it's uh, being here or whether it's off in a foreign land or somewhere, which is, you know, making sure that we protect uh, the U.S. and its interests. And so in that, I always reflect back to the book of Job. And in Job, you, we all know Job lost it all, right? And with me, uh, understanding that uh, what was at stake here, I had to be able to push through, to be there for my family, to be a leader of my organization, uh, just to be there as an overall individual to try to make the place a better, uh, make the world a better place. So that determination and will gave me what I needed to be able to push through this because it was definitely a, a, a trying experience, a humbling experience, but more so it really helped me to reflect and make me understand what was most important in my life. I know that each of you have had different experiences, gentlemen, uh, with your own mental health around being diagnosed, your own experiences with going to or not going to the hospital, being away from family, having people check on you. Uh, but I want to talk to you about something that is going to come up for some people who have been diagnosed, which is some of the discrimination that can occur. Uh, I know that Representative James mentioned, I didn't want to tell people what I was experiencing. I didn't want them to know that I was in the hospital. You all, now that you're making your stories public, people are going to know that you were diagnosed. For some of you, you wear that as a way to educate, as a, as a way to use that as a platform. But I know that some people are going to be afraid. Can I catch it from you? Are you still able to give it to me? Are you still able to give it? And so I wanna just have you all talk about your own 
experiences with either people discriminating against you, some of your own concerns now that you have had it, um, and, and some of how your identity may have changed with you being diagnosed with COVID-19. And we'll go in reverse order, and this time I'll start with uh, you, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Booth. So one of the things with the, the military is a process in order for us to be able to come back, um, uh, well, to gain a release, to come back to work. So um, we have to go through a process where you're uh, symptom free for seven days and you have to test positive uh, twice in the 24 hour period. So in that ability to be able to test negative uh, twice in a 24 hour period, it reassured me and gave me a, a, a better level of confidence in what my overall health was. But right now, um, even as we speak today, a lot of people from my, um, from my job, they don't even know that I had it, but it was reported all the way up uh, to the highest levels as they uh, monitored and tracked my overall uh, health. And um, in that, uh, it, was, it, was, it was ironic that I was sitting in the room the other day and we were uh, going through and we were having a sensitive meeting. And so we were all pr uh, practicing social distance but as I walked in the room, I had like my mask on and I'm like looking around to try to get a feel of what's going on in the room. And it was crazy because only myself and my my boss, we were the only two that knew uh, knew my condition and what I had just experienced. So it, it, it's definitely going to be interesting in the, uh, in the path going forward. But unless it's something that's really brought out, I don't think it'll be something that I even mentioned. And so, uh, Representative James? No, for me, um, I'm still, um, you know, kind of keeping to myself. Um, you know, I know that, uh, you know, I have, like I mentioned, my other colleagues, uh, they're back in the Capitol um, and them, um, you know, we, we have conversations and, and they tell me that, you know, our colleagues are, are, are treating them as normal. Uh, you know, ironically, as I, as I, I monitor the process, I don't see people respecting other folks enough to put on a mask. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I've decided to, to not, not go back. Uh, because for me, I, folks may be worried about me, but I'm just as worried about them too, uh, because I don't want to go back in the hospital. Um, I'm not trying to, to, to experience it again. And, and one of the things people keep forgetting about, you know, when we first started, they, you, everybody called this the novel coronavirus. And people, novel means new. And I think people forget that piece. We don't know. Right, this is just two months ago. Two months ago from today is when I was tested. We don't know what's happening with this thing. And for me, I'm not willing to gamble. I, I do have one of our other frat brothers. Uh, Y'all know Alex Haysburg, Virgil, you see him, see me with him in the gym all the time. When I started, I started running again and I was running with him the week before I got sick. So I was calling him, I was like, hey man, I'm going running. And he, he kept making excuses. And like maybe the fifth time I was like, bro, are you scared of me or something? <laughs> and, and I was like, man, you, you could tell me it's not gonna hurt my feelings. But you know, so I, outside of that experience, I have not really felt anything because family, you know, they've been, they've been very, you know, they, they're supportive. 
uh, you know, my, my daughter, her mom, uh, you know, it's just, it, it hadn't been an issue for me outside of our prayer brother that hadn't wanted to go outside and run when I've been going. So um, I just, I don't, I just, I don't know what's going to happen once, once I do get more comfortable with getting back out there. Uh, but I know for me, I'm more concerned about them than they may be about me. Mr. Smothers? <laughs> well, once again, <laughs> my platform is a little different. My experience is a little different. Uh, I realized once again that this is my testimony. It's just like I said, I was a functioning alcoholic, right? And so as I minister, I, I'm transparent. You know, the scriptures say, always be ready to give an account to he who asks, to anyone that asks. We, God allows us to go through these trials for a reason, not to hurt us, but to strengthen us and to give us a testimony to be able to win souls for Christ. And so with that being said, I find myself in Walmart, right? Or Home Depot. I don't go many places, but when I do go, I'm doing projects around the house. And so it requires me to go and purchase things. I have on my gloves, I have on my mask, and I find myself uh, almost not necessarily chastising, but I'll say it for effect, chastising grown men and women, husband and wives, women with children, asking them, even the cashier, where's your mask, where are your gloves? And I tell you, it's because of this, not because I'm trying to in invoke fear, but because I understand the severity of the situation. Like, like uh, Representative Ted said, uh, Representative Jane alluded to earlier, um, going through this, listen, this was a tough fight. This was Mike Tyson in his prime, right? And you're not allowed to even cover yourself up to protect yourself. You got to take the punches. Now, I won the fight, but I don't want the rematch. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the rematch. So, but I use that experience to be able to talk to complete strangers and say, listen, lovingly, I say, hey, listen, where are your gloves and your mask? Oh, I'm not worried. Listen, I am a COVID survivor. So I wear it as a badge of honor. Listen, I had nurses while I was in the hospital. I had doctors while I was in the, in the ICU saying, you're a miracle. We've seen people come in uh, in your state and they go fast. They go fast. Several has died already. You know, and this remember this was at the beginning, uh, the beginning stage. Matter of fact, I found out when I was released from the hospital, Ted, you, when, when I got home, uh, my wife informed me that when I was going in, you were coming out. So that's how I found out that you had it. But with that being said, I use this as an opportunity to encourage others to not take it for granted, not take it lightly and understand the severity of it, not to invoke fear, but to help them to protect themselves and their loved ones. So I would, I would take that, uh, Mr. Smothers, as we get ready to bring our show to a close, this, this has been, uh, Dr. Tarver, my favorite uh, episode so far. We, I think we're giving our listeners, uh, the people who partake of this show, we, we, this time we've given them something that this is straight from people who really have experienced this. We're getting an opportunity to experience this with you. This has been emotional for me because I love each and every, each one of you, I love you individually of your own credit, your own uh, power that God has given you all. But uh, as, as we come to a close, uh, Brother uh, Smothers, I'd like to kind of come back to you about that same thing. What's a so what? Like as the, the states are reopening, as folks are starting to move around, we got Memorial Day weekend that's happening this weekend, the sun is out more. 
It's the days are longer. We've all been cooped up in the house for an extremely long time. So people's guards may come down. What, to each of you, as, as people are, you know, um, may be apprehensive or may be uh, ambivalent or even uh, don't have any concern about it, what's a takeaway uh, that you would share with our listeners or share with people from your story? What's a one quick takeaway that you would uh, share, Mr. Smothers? Develop that intimacy with God. Get closer with God in prayer, meditation, and get to church, a teaching church. It's not about religion, it's about a relationship. That's beautiful, that's beautiful. I would offer that to you as well, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Brew. What would you offer to, you know, I, I just have uh, a deep affection for you because I know uh, you're one of the rock stars of the military, I, I have no doubt. Uh, I've already professed you're gonna be a general, uh, in the military, you got to get promoted to general. Thank and I know you probably like that. <laughs> I hope you receive that. Um, and and as you get ready to, you know, what's a great takeaway for you as you continue to lead men and women uh, and protect our nation? Um, as you continue to do that, what, what's a good takeaway, a so what moment that you would offer quickly to our listeners? Uh, one of the things that I, I really want to hit home, and I, I think you've heard me say this time and time again, was do not take this thing lightly. A lot of people, um, because it doesn't impact them, uh, it, does, it does not have the same um, emotional connection uh, because they, they haven't experienced it. And as you know, I, I, I always equate it back to those times where we've been at war. As we look at the numbers in Afghanistan and Iraq, it, they, it becomes a number that's highlighted on the ticker tape on the bottom of the screen. But when you're there, it takes on a whole new meaning. And so what I always say is when I talk to anyone about it, whether it's family members or close friends is, do not take this slightly, take the necessary precautions and, got in and, and make sure that you're doing everything in your power to protect yourself. But Brother Smothers, I think that you hit the nail on the head every time. This is something that really uh, helps you to really cement your focus, that should help you to cement your focus on God. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is something that's been unprecedented, something that we haven't seen in a long time. And I'll tell you, I've had uh, some extreme experiences with uh, pandemics and other diseases coming throughout the military, but this time, I have never seen anything to this magnitude. So anything as far as making sure you have on that, uh, your PPE, as far as your gloves, your mask, do any and everything that you can to protect yourself. Because even at this point, this is a learning experience from for everyone. And when that was conveyed to me, even from my doctor, and uh, we spoke about uh, a lot of the different characteristics and symptoms that they have been seeing from various patients. That's when I knew that this was something that was above uh, something that was common, uh, commonly exposed to man. So as long as everyone can have that understanding, really holding on to what's most important to them, I, I think they'll be good from this uh, point going forward. Over. And, and uh, well, I thank you for that. And uh, Representative James, your I'd like you to, to, to answer that question. And, and, and please, by all means, I know you have an 
unshakable faith and relationship with God. But I want to know going forward, uh, what are some policy issues or, or concerns or development do you think that would, would benefit us all? Or what are some of the things that you are seeing come through the pipeline that, that may be pragmatic and practical to help us uh, through? We're, we're new to this. Like you said, it's novel. We don't know everything. We've only had it such a short amount of time. There's clearly not enough research on it. But yeah. what are some policies that you guys can put in place? Yeah, I, I think that, and, and before I go there, uh, you know, both both of those answers, I could just say ditto and start talking. But, you know, for me, it was, you know, Virgil, I was, I was embarrassed that I was worrying more than I was praying. And I told people that, and I've been very, very blunt about it. Uh, and my pastor, like I was on the phone, he was one of probably three people that I actually talked to while I was in the hospital. And I, I thought that I was somebody who was, was, you know, very confident in my work. That has shown me that, brother, you were, you had people that were praying for you more than you were in there trusting God yourself. So for me, it's just, it, I'm thankful that, cause sometimes people don't get you know, people always tell you when you go to a funeral, like, well, I don't have to question where so-and-so is because he knew. And for me, had I been not, if if I hadn't survived on that Wednesday, because Monday and Tuesday, I wasn't there with him. And and I'm, I'm just flat out honest. I was crying. I was worried. And I was not, I had other people praying more than I was praying. So I think for everybody, I think that that intimate walk is, is important. Um, getting right with people. And, and as I said, as I, as I look at Bill Brew, you and I are going to have a conversation in the, in the next few days um, because it's, it's just some things that I know as, as a person being honest with myself, had I closed my eyes Tuesday to never open them, it's some things that I'm not, I wouldn't have been right with, with how my life was going. So that's, that's the first thing. Um, and, and on like the, the policy piece, there, there are so many different things. Number one, the testing piece, we just got to make sure that testing are going in the right areas. Uh, folks are so, you know, even now as we are trying to do like the, the contact tracing, I have colleagues that are saying, oh, we don't want to give this information out, you know, the government overreach. We have to make sure that, that folks are being able to, to get that information um, to find out when and where and how, you know, for me, I don't know. It could have been the Capitol. It could have been Mardi Gras. It could have been Ruth Chris, the three nights that I went before. I have no idea. And and for me, at this point, I, I've that's that's so far in my in my in my rear view that, that I, I can't even focus on it uh, but you know dr. Tarver we have to make sure that you know in our community we, we do have those underlying issues we need to you know be fighting for more federal dollars for FQHCs in our community we have to make sure that um, the reimbursement rates for Medicaid we got to increase those because we need to make sure that we get more doctors who want to see Medicaid patients, those specialists, um, that our people, you can't just treat some of our illnesses by going to the ER. So we have to make sure that we are directing dollars because with you know all these things, dollars don't really follow the need. Dollars follow the people that are out there fighting for it. So we got to fight for certain things, you know, on employment piece, 
you know, we have people, we saw unemployment, right? We, we have the lowest unemployment benefit weekly in the country in Louisiana. That needs to change. Paid sick leave, we, we need to do those things. And it's been so crazy for me. Some of my colleagues uh, that, that don't know the struggle that we know, you know, their folks went through a hardship for seven weeks and they ready to jump off a building, right? We got people that I represent that not knowing how they gonna pay the bills is not a seven week thing, right? That's not a pandemic, that's a lifetime issue. You know, we got folks that, that couldn't go to work for eight weeks. We got folks that are educated. We got folks that have college degrees, that can't find jobs for eight months, eight years, let alone eight weeks. So we have to focus on those things to make sure that if this happens again, we have folks that are prepared and, and have the wherewithal to be able to survive for a four or six week period because we have given them the unemployment benefits. We force businesses to pay into their unemployment insurance. We have folks in Louisiana, big businesses, successful businesses that aren't paying into it, but they have received the SBA loan. They've received the, the, the PP, uh, what is it, PPP loan. They've received that. And their employees don't have paid sick leave working at $7 in a quarter and then are being forced to go back without any type of protection. So we got to make sure that we are supporting businesses, but also putting resources to protect the, the, the working person that is standing those businesses up businesses up and that's it's a huge challenge for us especially you know here in Louisiana now I, I think that uh, I, and I can imagine you could keep talking policy forever uh, you guys have all laid out a, uh, a, a terrific takeaway a so what if we will one of the things that Dr. Tarvanoff uh, uh, we pride ourselves on is we want this show to be impactful we want you to have something from each show to put in your toolkit and I think you guys will put so many uh, things in, in the toolkit for this show. I personally want to say that I love each and every one of you individually. I love you and I'm so proud and honored that you, you took out the time to come on this show to talk about it. You could have went anywhere else but you shared your story with, with us and our listeners. Um, I hope that it was therapeutic for you. I hope that this show allowed you to be able to release uh, some of the energy and, and, uh, and experience that you have. We hope that we've been careful with your uh, with your medical uh, recovery and survivorship. Uh, and we hope that this has been a learning experience for each of us. Uh, Dr. Tarver. I just wanna tell you all thank you uh, for sharing your stories. You, you're very brave because I know that whenever you share your story, then people can always go in there and try to tear apart and ask questions about. Uh, I wanna say to, to everyone here and, and those that'll be listening to us or viewing this, that this process of this pandemic has taught us to learn a lot about ourselves, but also other people, and that our experiences are not all the same. You all shared very different stories of your experiences. And I wanna share with people that we all have different resources. I don't want, and, I, and Representative James, uh, thank you for your honesty. I think a lot of people don't admit that they get scared, that they are fearful, because faith and fear can exist together. And they do. And it doesn't mean that you're any less faithful. It means that you're human. It means that you something hits you that you had not experienced in your life before, and it took you down to your core. And I appreciate that honesty because a lot of people will just not acknowledge that they're experiencing fear or depression or hopelessness or whatever it is that they experience. And because they don't, they don't get the help that they need. I'm a, I uh, am a, a big proponent of spiritual and mental health going together 
that we can both be faith-based folks and people that seek mental health services. I don't think I don't see them in opposition to each other. I see them as complementing each other. And so for people, I will say, if you are afraid, if you need some resources, if you're isolated, if you're scared, whatever it may be, know that you can access mental health services on Zoom like this or in offices. We're still here, we're still available. And yes, we need to make sure that we're able to get paid for our services, but there are a lot of services where people can go free or sliding fee scale. And we'll make sure to put some of those resources in our notes for this video. Well, thank you so much uh, for that, that, that constant and great reminder. I would just ask each one of our, our guests today, uh, how do our listeners um, support your businesses or support some of your causes or efforts, or how do they to reach out to you uh, so I'll come to you, uh, Mr. Smothers, can you give our listeners your contact information, how to reach you on social media? Well, actually, I'm not active on social media uh, right now. Uh, I'll be hiring some people to handle that part. My business is a little different. It's a business consultant and marketing firm. But what I am doing is helping uh, young entrepreneurs start their own businesses and utilizing my resources to help them do so. My resources is not just financial resources, but it's also people like you guys, you know, uh, Representative Jane, there's some things that definitely he and I'll be talking about in the future that we're gonna team up, he just don't know it yet, but we're <laughs> gonna team up to impact the community. Everything that he said was spot on. Of course, you know, I'm a former pharmaceutical rep, right? And so everything that you said in terms of healthcare and Medicaid is spot on, right? Uh, my clients were doctors. My clients wear clinics. My clients wear hospitals. So you hit it, hit the nail on the head. But God has put us together. He's linked us together in this forum to be able to reveal these things so that, because God is all about connections. When you read your Bible, you're going to see he connected people together. And his purpose is people. God's purpose is always people. And so we'll be working together as well as winners, uh, you know, and uh, Mr. Bear Brew. Uh, but that being said, and once again, Dr. Tarver, thank you uh, for allowing us to come on on this platform and express ourselves. Anthony, you know, it's because of you. You call and we're gonna, everybody that's on here is going to answer because of who you are, my friend. So thank you. But that being said, to answer your question, info at newheightsbmc.com. That's once again, that's info at New Heights, N-E-W-H-E-I-G-H-T-S, BMC.com. BMC stands for Business Marketing Consultants. Good deal. All right, thank you very much. Uh, Representative James. Yes, uh, you know, thank you, uh, Dr. Tarver and, and Brother Winters. Like Virgil said, you, you are one that we've always um, I've always looked up to, I, I remember in law school, you got deployed, I think twice and had to interrupt your, your law studies, not once, but twice to go serve our country. And, and then kind of came back and, and started to, you know, just not only build your law practice, but recognize that commitment that you have to the community. Um, you know, if you guys, anybody need to reach me, Edward Ted James at Gmail, that, that's my Gmail, at Edward Ted James on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So Edward Ted James, uh, you could you could find me uh, and and here to answer any questions or you know just to kind of talk this through. Uh, but again, just thank you guys uh, for for giving us this space um, because every time you know I, I have the opportunity to talk about the experience, um, I'm I'm fed 
because of being able to hear from from these other brothers, but also continuing to, you know, as I seek, what are those lessons? It helps me to hear uh, from other folks that have experienced it as well. So thank you brothers for being vulnerable enough um, to come on and share that story uh, with us. Thank you. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Brook, please. Hey, this was definitely a great opportunity to be able to share my story. And I, I wish you, you all well on this platform in the future with being able to get the right message across Dr. Tarver, Brother Winters, um, more so Representative James, Brother Smothers. This was uh, definitely a, a good experience and something that I'll take forth uh, as I uh, as I'm able to talk about this experience more, just kind of share some of the stories that came out of this today because it definitely needs to be heard. There are a lot of people that are out there that um, uh, what, what, when you don't know something, you can't say that, uh, you know, my ignorance gives me an excuse. These are the platforms that we can use to really get the message out there, to really uh, sharpen the awareness of COVID-19 and really bring this uh, awareness to to the public. So, hey, I really thank you for inviting me today. And hey, look, back door, <laughs> I definitely appreciate this. Hey, look, thank you for always being in my corner, always being there to support me. And look, you know, you definitely been my role model over the years. So, <laughs> hey, thank you for inviting me, and thanks for being able to share every uh, share this experience. Uh, I'm not a big uh, social media hog, so you can reach me on LinkedIn. I think that's the only social media I'm on, and that's at uh, Rodney Bilber. Just look me up. Thanks a bunch again. Over. No, thank thank you all, um, Dr. Tarver. We did it. We've we've had another show, but again. Uh, this show was the realest show and it touched my heart to be able to have these these gentlemen. And I appreciate you allowing me to get people that I love that I was able to bring onto the show to really share their experience. There's many, many others, over 5 million, over 97 million, uh, I mean, 97,000 uh, deaths in the United States um, alone. Um, and, uh, and so people continue to suffer. Uh, we're coming out, uh, people are starting to come outside. I'm continue to wear my mask, um, but this has been uh, in our own defense podcast. We've been discussing surviving COVID-19 with Lieutenant Colonel uh, Rodney Bill Brew, Mr. Virgil uh, Smothers, and Louisiana State Representative and Attorney Ted James. Um, um, this concludes this episode of in our own defense podcast. We've been your host, uh, Dr. Dolores Tarver, and myself, Attorney A.D. Winters. Uh, for more information on our podcast, please follow us on social media on Instagram at in our own defense and email us at in our own defense at gmail.com.